Welcome to the Let's Explore podcast. My name is Lane McCall, and I'm here hanging out with Don Keithley and Darren Begley. And we had such a great time in our previous episode talking about hell that we figured we'd go there again. Everyone likes hell. I ain't going to hell again. (laughs) (laughs) Hell no or hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So let's just dive right into it. Um, The history of hell where the concept of this eternal conscious torment came from. Um, Don, I know you've been doing some research on that. Right. I have. You know, what's what's we, we need to go back to where it started, but I think it's even uh, interesting how we got to where we are today with most of us having accepted this concept of eternal conscious torment without even giving it a second thought. And it does reflect back on the history. And, and maybe we should start with recent history as to why 99.999% of churchgoers actually believe in eternal conscious torment. And there's a very simple reason for that. Most of us came through two theological streams. Either we grew up as Calvinists who believed that everybody was predetermined either to go to heaven or go to hell. There's not much you did about it. If you were if you were predetermined by God to go to heaven, you would encounter irresistible grace and you would uh, find yourself in on God's right side. But God actually, according to Calvin, has created people uh, from the very get-go it, to go to hell. They're, they're, there's nothing they could do about it. And then the other stream, of course, is Armenianism to where uh, that, that theological thought says that it's your free will choice whether you go to heaven or hell, and God will not override your free will choice. So all of us came through those two theological streams. That Those were the only choices. You either grew up a Baptist uh, that were Calvinists at some level or Assembly of God that were Armenians, Pentecostal, most of them are Armenians. So <clears throat> this whole thing was ingrained in us from the get-go, and it is a direct result as to what took place in history. But before we, maybe before I just give a quick synopsis of history, I don't know if, if there's something maybe Darren wants to throw in about it, but our background just lends itself to this is a given. Mm-hmm. Th- there's no argument about this one. And so it's so deeply ingrained that when you when you bring it up or even challenge the concept, it's so foreign because of a long history from 400 uh, AD up to this time that people just think you're out there in the ozone somewhere if you even dare to challenge it. I did a quick survey this week. I, I went on Facebook and I asked how many of you guys that are pastors that went through Bible college or seminary, how many were in a class where a professor ever told you that the actual word hell was not in scripture? And not one person came back and responded that they had even heard through seminary or Bible college that the word hell was not in scripture. So Darren, if you notice that too, I mean, we don't have, there yeah. was no choice about it. That's just what you believed. Yeah. And, and two, you know, we have so um, just listened to what people believe and what they speak and we don't do our own research. So if you go back and even look at, you know, how Plato affected how we think because Plato and, and how he taught um, influenced a guy named St. Augustine. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at John Calvin, John Calvin was influenced by St. Augustine. And so you see how things were passed down and then how they grew and, and how they um, evolved into 
what now we believe. And we just taken, like most people don't even know, uh, John Calvin wasn't even a minister. He wasn't an ordained minister. He was a lawyer. Hmm. And so, and if you see how he was influenced, just like we go back and we look at Darby and Schofield, and we see, you know, where their writings come from and how they were influenced. So then you get an idea of, of how the people are thinking and where their ideas come from. And so if you look at Plato, where he separated um, heaven and earth and, you know, uh, spirit and flesh, flesh is bad. Mm, so St. Yeah. Augustine picked this up. And so his whole idea was, you know, sex is bad because it gratifies the flesh. So he would separate those things. And so then, you know, you start twisting those concepts and minds. And, and the reason St. Augustine did that, because he had such issues with his own flesh. Yeah. And so, you know, he would condemn himself. And then you start seeing this come down. So if you see Calvin pick some of this stuff up, so it's very easy for him to take this and take scripture and go, okay, some are going to make it, some are not. Some are good, some are bad. And if you just take that concept, then you got to take it back and go, wait a minute, where's the character of God in this? You know, did God create this from the beginning where we just go, he created some good and some bad? Mm. And and so if, if that's the case, and it's, that's just the way it is, then what difference does it make whatever we do because God's chosen it we can't change it. Right. And that's where a lot of that stuff come from, and that's where they, you know, put that in there. That's so crazy to me. I mean, I know that there are people that are Calvinists out there. I don't know any. And maybe it was much more common years ago, but when you talk about Armenianism and the mindset that it's our just free will choice, and that seems more you know, in line with what most people think nowadays. The Calvinism thing to me is so bizarre. Oh, not really, man. I, I watched it when I was doing some research. I'm starting a series Sunday. I watched a, a video by John MacArthur, who is a, who is big time Calvinist. Yeah, I think and, it's just my circles. I'm not, yeah. You see, well, that's because of your background. Your yeah. circle is Armenian. But I watched MacArthur and he, I watched him and he got totally irate and said, to the glory of God, he creates people for hell and he delights in watching them. This is what he th- th- wow. the dude said. He delights in watching them suffer in torment and twist and turn in flames of fire. It brings him great glory. So you got guys like Paul MacArthur and John and uh, Paul Washer. I mean, they are, they're some hardcore. Wow. There's a lot of fundamentalist Baptists that are very uh, five point Calvinists. Absolutely. Yeah, and you, you can take certain scriptures and I'm telling you, if oh, you yeah. don't, if you don't know history and you don't put everything involved, I mean, it can it can look a certain way. Like mm. the one they really bring out is like Pharaoh, where God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so they're basically just right. saying, you know, well, see, God chose him for bad or Judas, mm. you know, and, and then he didn't have a choice in any of this. And so then when they bring it out, like I, I, I did a message on it the other day where you bring it into to Romans and Paul starts teaching on it. And then... A lot of them will read in, in Romans 9, but they don't want to go into 10 and 11 where actually he says, you know what? Yeah, I hardened the heart of the Jews. I, I partially blinded them. But don't think for a second that I'm not going to turn back to them. And this is the scripture. And have mercy on them all. Mm. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Mm-hmm. And so even though God may harden their heart, the reason they've, he's hardening their heart is because they've chosen that decision. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so he hardens them in the place that they're choosing to be, mm-hmm. and then he uses it for his benefit. But then he's going to turn it 
And he's always going to come back in mercy. And he's going to come back in love. And so once you start to see that, but if you don't read it all the way through, it's easily just to pull scriptures out of context and go, look, see right there, he's sovereign. Chose this one, didn't choose this one. That's you know, just the way it is. Nothing you can do about it. And it's like Darren really pointed out, and it's a good, a great point. John Calvin was a, an attorney. And with an attorney, everything is either black or white, right or wrong, right. Yeah. left or right. Well, yeah. right? So that, that develops his theology. Right. That's, the way he, that's the lens he looks at Scripture. Absolutely. So look at it like this. John Calvin is a courtroom. Mm-hmm. Paul takes it into Abba Father. Mm. That's the biggest shift that needs to happen to us. That is not a, a father's concept is not a courtroom. Absolutely. And so what we try to make everything is fact. We want to make it legal, okay? And so we take it into a courtroom setting, okay? So we moved it from, you know, the east to the west because that's not the way they— And so now we make God judge, mm-hmm. okay? So, but if we really look at a judge in the Hebraic, what's a judge? Gideon, Samson. So what's the judge? The judge is going to come against everything that is stealing from you. Right. Everything in the flesh, everything in the carnal nature, everything that's not of God, God raises up judges to deal with what? Anybody that was stealing against his chosen people, which was Israel. Mm. So when you see Gideon, what God, what's God doing? Hey, almighty man of God. That's a judge. He raised up a judge. Mm. But see, in, in our mindset, it's a courtroom. It's a judge. Judgment's bad. Okay, so all the Old Testament, we look at judge through the law. But everything in New Testament, you got to look at it as through Jesus, which is grace and truth. Yeah. So then it shifts everything and how you see, uh, you know, he is the image of the Father. You know, as as a dad myself, I have two kids. And if my son is antagonizing my daughter, maybe he's in a room, she doesn't. If I'm going to correct my son, there's nothing in me that wants to judge him and pay him equally for what he's done wrong. Everything in me wants to actually embrace him, love him, correct him. But because I know there's a better person on the inside than I'm seeing on the outside. And my whole motive is to love him and to help him grow up and to be someone that he's actually created to be. It has nothing to do with punishment, right? From See, my perspective, the the pushback against Calvinism came from James Arminius, who developed Arminianism later in the 1500s than Calvin did earlier in the 1500s with Calvinism. But you know what? We we need to keep in mind these were just two men who developed two theologies. They they you know they weren't Jesus. Right. They were two men that arose and developed two theologies that became the prevalent thought. Uh, in our our culture, but if you trace it way back to the beginning, now this is this is what's mind blowing, and most most Christians don't even realize this. The first four hundred years of the church, there was no hell teaching. There was no hell wow. teaching. All there was was good news. And when the good news was carried out, it really spread all over the whole world. I mean, it it, it affected the culture. So out of out of the uh, out of the Septuagint, which was the first recorded scripture, and it's actually the Bible the early church used. It was finished. Gosh, it started. Uh, they started developing it about two hundred years, three hundred years before Christ, and it was final, finalized a hundred years after Christ. But that was the Bible of the New Testament. Out of that, a man named Tertullian. Um, began to develop this idea or come up with a a concept of hell. But the one who really turned it into the darkness, the blackness, the eternal conscious torment was Augustine. Mm. 
and it it was picked up there by by Calvin in the 1500s, and then where we really trace it in our modern history are to the reformers in the 1700s with guys like. Uh, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, yeah. and those guys preached it hot and heavy. Jonathan Edwards had a had a worldwide uh, f- sermon called "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God," oh, yeah. where he actually dangled people over hell mm. in that message. And I mean, he made it as explicit as he could, and it was used as a tool to get people to repent, accept Jesus. Then if you bring it up even later, honestly, Billy Graham is the guy in our generation whose messages were accept Jesus to miss hell. Yeah. And he was so successful in what he did that pastors picked it up and ran with it. And the altar call, the altar call and all that stuff really was made popular with Billy Graham. Fear drives. Oh. Fear can sell. Oh. Fear, oh, yeah. And yeah. I've fear always sells. said this, mm-hmm. you know, most of America, we've got our doctrine through evangelism. Uh, yeah, and, and evangelist yeah. is not the gift that really lays out accurate doctrine. Mm-hmm. It's apostles and prophets. Yeah. And apostles and prophets, that's, that's who wrote the Bible, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? The old was prophets, the new was apostles. So accurate doctrine and interpretation, the gifting that goes along with that is apostles and prophets, not evangelists. Most evangelists only have like two or three messages. Mm-hmm. And they just preach the same message over and over and over wherever they go. But let me go back to something um, that, that Don uh, was speaking on when it first came out. And when, it, when they first started teaching it, it didn't come from the Hebraic. It came from the Roman side, the Latin side. And then it started being developed in the Catholic Church. So what happened is the Catholic Church wanted to redo um, their big church in Rome. Mm-hmm. And so they needed money. Um, I think it was, uh, I can't remember which pope it was. Uh, so he, they came up with this whole scheme. And they... They got a hold of a guy named Dante, and Dante, he, he actually was a comedian, and he did plays, uh, Dante's Inferno. Mm-hmm. And so what they did is they they hired him, and they hired him to, to do this play and then also to uh, create pictures. And so most of our graphic pictures of hell come from Dante. Mm-hmm. And so this is what they did. They contracted with him. And then the, the, the uh, Roman Catholic Church come up with this idea of indulgence and penance and purgatory. So they created this. Yeah. And they created this um, through this propaganda, okay? And then they would send out these priests, and they would go into communities, and they would preach. They would actually take fire um, and burn it in front of these priests as they were preaching and talk about you think this is hot? Mm. You don't want to go to hell. And, and so then they would have a table over here where you could give money uh, to the Roman Catholic Church, and they would give you a paper called indulgence or you know penance, where you can yeah. take this and then uh, start going up the steps praying, and you, know, you could pray your grandmother or grandfather out of purgatory into hell wow. or into heaven. And if you gave enough, they gave you a paper of indulgence that would guarantee you that you would make it into heaven. Wow. So this is the whole, if you go back and watch the movie Luther, this is what was happening. The tragic thing about this is most of the time when we think of Martin Luther, uh, we think of the Reformation and right. we think of, you know, it's all by faith. All right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's great. But if you really go to the core of what was going on with Martin Luther, is he could not deal with a God that loves him, but a God that wants to punish you in hell. 
That that's the core. Okay. And so when you go back and watch Luther, you start to see what motivated him because he was looking for a God that that loved him and that had mercy and yeah. and instead the Roman Catholic Church preached this hellfire and brimstone. And so this is what was going on in the inside of him, and that's why he rose up and said, Wait a minute, this is not right. You know, and, and started having these writings that came out again. He loved the church. Mm-hmm. Okay, but he could not agree with what they were doing because it wasn't scriptural. Mm-hmm. That's what we want people to understand. It wasn't scriptural. It was made up. And so, uh, you know, Dante had the nine circles of hell. Yeah. And you go and look at that. It's scary, man. I mean, the creatures he did and it the is. whole play. I mean, it's scary. Yeah. And so this is what they propagated so they could get money so they could build the church in Rome. Saint Saint Jerome is the guy that took the scriptures and, and um, translated into the Latin Vulgate, which became the official Bible of the Catholic Church for hundreds of years. Um, the incredible thing is, most people couldn't read. Mm. So, what you're going to depend on is the priest who could read, telling you what it says and what it means. So, the Vulgate took the word Sheol, made it hell. Took the word Hades in the New Testament, made it hell. Took the word Gehenna, made it hell. Took the word Tartarus, made it hell. So when the priests would read the Bible, they would tell them what the hell was, and the hell was always attached to uh, verses that had previously been attached to words that had entirely different meanings. But by attaching hell and now telling them about this concept of hell, which there was no hell in the Septuagint. There was no hell in original scripture. It was a word that was introduced, as Darren said, to create the manipulation and the control and the domination of the masses of people in order to gather money. And then when the reformers hit it, we really used it as an evangelistic tool. And until today, most evangelism is still tied to that. At yeah. least it was in my my upbringing. It's why at six years old I accepted Jesus. I wasn't yeah. going to hell. <laughs> yeah. Well, you look to you know the incredible thing with Martin Luther is the printing press that came out in the 1500s. Right. Yeah. And most people don't even realize, but they were taking his writings and printing them and putting them out there to the common people. He didn't even know they were doing this. Okay. And so then when he got arrested and, and was secluded, he took um, the Latin Bible, the New Testament, and put it into German and then put it into a way that the average person could understand the Bible, which right. scared, pardon my French, the hell out of the Roman Catholic Church mm-hmm. because now they can't control and manipulate them because the average person now has the Bible and they can read it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Catholic Church never wanted. They wanted that control, and that's why they hated Martin Luther. That's why they wanted to kill him. And they would have killed him if they wasn't afraid of the people. Wow. Now think of that. The first 400 years after the resurrection of Jesus, hell was not taught. And now it's, it's, it has come to the place where it is considered orthodox oh, Christianity. Yeah. It's orthodox. Mm-hmm. When it did, we we have the idea that orthodox are these beliefs that were always held by the church, were always considered standard, were always considered normal. But this doctrine of hell was not an orthodox doctrine in the early church. That's why Paul's writing. Think of that. The dude, the dude wrote two thirds of the New Testament and never used the word hell one time. That's true. 
And okay, so when you were talking about the words that are translated into hell, so when we read hell in our American evangelical culture, when we read it, we immediately think Dante's Inferno. Yes. We we read hell and we think demons and devils and hot and burning. Yeah. But the original words, so let's take one, for example, like uh, when David says, um, uh, even if I make my bed in In hell, hell. which is... That's the word shale right, there. Exactly. So, but it's a grave. A, a, a grave. Okay. Exactly. That's what that's it has what nothing to do is. with a burning fiery no. pit with demons no, in it. Not not at all. That's why the Jews to this day have no concept of hell. <laughs> yeah, it just means the realm of the dead. The, the realm, which is not Dante's Inferno. The no. worst punishment under the old covenant was death. Mm. Now we have a better covenant with better promises, and all of a sudden, the worst punishment is eternal conscious torment. Figure that one out. Mm. So when you look at the old covenant, they had no concept of hell. There was no hell in in the old covenant, and to this day, you talk to Jewish people that are they they laugh at you. They smile, say, "Where where are you getting that at?" Because right. even Jesus, when he came, and we talked about this a little bit last time, but uh, Darren, you were talking about the word Jesus used mostly is Gehenna. Gehenna. And will you tell us again what Gehenna actually means instead of Dante's Inferno? Well, Gehenna was um, a dump ground outside of Jerusalem where they burned their trash. Mm. And matter of fact, you can go back and find it in Second Chronicles. You can find it in, in uh, Jeremiah. Matter of fact, um, it's the place where they would take their children and sacrifice them in this to Molech. And God rebuked them. And said that was never in my heart. That this, I mean, he was vehemently against this. Okay, yeah. But yet, God was against them doing it. But that's what He's going to do to us. So Molech was a a god that was. I don't know if did it come from Greek or uh, Greek mythology or is it before that? Um, so, but uh, the little I know a little bit about Molech. It was basically a god that would accept fiery human sacrifice, right? right? Mm. And this was one of the beliefs um, back in that day. And so that's an excellent point that you just made, though, because God specifically rebukes them because Moloch's in the Bible, reference to Moloch. So he's rebuking them for this practice of burning people. Yeah, but yet now (laughs) we believe that's what he's going to do. He's going to burn people. And so when you you look, if you pick up Jesus's teachings, Mm -hmm. okay, which is, you know, he is the focal point of everything. Yes. He, most of the time he's pointing to this dump ground outside of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number two, he's never talking to the sinners about this. He's talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Mm. Okay. And he's pointing to this place. And in references, he makes this, um, they will come from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and sit down uh, in the kingdom of God with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before you. And the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, whether it's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm. In context, and then he's pointing to Gehenna, okay? Mm. And this is what he says. The first, which was he came to the Jews, okay, are going to be last. The last, which is the Gentiles, okay, he's saying they're going to come into the kingdom before you. But did you notice he said they're going to come into the kingdom before you? Right. He didn't say they're never going to come into the kingdom. Mm -hmm. But he's making reference of the weeping and gnashing of teeth, okay, is because they missed their time of visitation. Mm -hmm. They didn't, they did not want to give up the law. They did not want to give up the carnal. 
Okay, the Gentiles accepted Jesus, but he said, don't think for a second I'm not going to turn back to the Jews. Yeah. So what he's talking about is that burning that burns up the trash, and there was a worm that was there that actually ate the flesh. Uh, you know, Jesus says, I'm the worm. Mm. And he talks about he's going to use this. So God says he come to send a fire. And this fire, and, and I taught this, uh, you know, I started a study on, on uh, a school on hell. You never see where Satan's in control of fire. God's the consuming fire. Yeah. His eyes are like fire. He uses fire to purge. Well, he he appeared to Moses. Absolutely, all the way through every offering. How did Moses? How did they do offerings? Received by fire, sacrifice of fire, and then he's led the children of Israel through the pillar pillar of fire. fire. And then you see on Mount Sinai, it it was he came down in fire. Okay, all the way through, you see this, and you see God is the orchestrator of fire. He uses it to purge out. So I, I gave this story the other night where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they wouldn't bow. Okay. And because they wouldn't bow, he said, you know, take the furnace and heat it seven times hotter, which is intimidation. And they bound them with cords and took strong men to throw them in. Okay. And then we know the story where the fourth man showed up in the fire. Right. So what was the only thing that got burned up in the fire? What man, you know, bound them with. Yeah. That's what burned it up. Wow. That's what the fire is for. Mm. The fire is to burn out everything that we get from man, everything from the carnal nature, everything from the beast. Mm. So if God is a God of consuming fire and he's jealous, okay, what's he jealous for? He's jealous for his promised land, which is us. So when he comes to live in us, what's he going to do? He's going to try to, he's going to burn out everything that we've been taught by man. Yeah. Because he's jealous for us and he's going to go after everything, every thinking, every mindset, everything that man has taught us that that burns against us, he's like, my fire is going to burn that out. And to me, that's personally been uh, everything that limits my expression Absolutely. as a person. Because there's no greater joy than being able to be who you are without without reservation. Absolutely. And so everything, every kind of fear, every sort of uh, your insignificant type of message, everything that they got in, in the story with Adam and Eve, and they go hide in the bushes, and there's fear, and there's shame, and they're hiding, and they're withdrawn. That's exactly the opposite of everything that I'm about for people. And that's what that's the teaching of man or the the doctrine of man that would keep people less than what they were created to be. Yeah. Well, look, look what Paul says. Paul said, if you build on hay, wood, or stubble, what's going to happen? I'm going to burn it out with fire. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if he's doing that to the Christians, what's he doing to what we call non-Christians? It's the same fire. Okay. And so it's the very same thing. So if you got someone over here burning with lust, okay, mm-hmm. in the carnal nature, and, and I tell people this, if there's a wildfire that's loose, how do you stop that wildfire? You go around in front of it and start another fire right? and burn back to it. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is over here in the carnal, you're burning with this fire and people are trying to deal with it within their own self and they're failing. Why? Because you can't defeat carnal with carnal. Right. But God came with a spirit mm-hmm. and now he's given us his spirit. So what do we do? We take that, the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, has set us free from the law of sin and death. Mm. And it burns against that fire of lust mm-hmm. and com- completely purges. We can't do it in our own strength. That's why he came and did it for us. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I think that has really tripped us up is uh, we want to read the Bible and make everything Jesus said 2,000 years ago to the Jews 
applicable to us. Right. And that's just, that's, you can't do it. It'd be like me writing a letter to Darren and then you reading the letter and trying to make everything I say to Darren applicable to you. There might be some gems of wisdom I tell Darren that you can use and say, oh, that's good. I can, I need to hear that. But essentially the letter's to Darren. So what, even when Jesus, and it really bugs me when he used this word Gehenna and we've turned it into hell. Right. Some of what Jesus was also doing was giving the Jews a forward look to 70 AD and telling them, look, because of your rebellion, because of your refusal to hear the message, there is coming a time when all of this is going to be destroyed. And he was actually telling them that they would end up in Gehenna. And the fact was there were tens of thousands of Jews that were slaughtered by the Romans in 70 AD and their bodies ended up in Gehenna, burning in fire that did not go out, consumed by worms that ate their flesh. Listen, Gehenna was the most despicable, distasteful, repugnant place that a Jew could ever fathom. Mm. No Jew wanted to end up in Gehenna. And Jesus is telling them, that's right where you're headed. Mm. Now, we've taken that, said, well, Gehenna's hell because of of what was been mistranslated and then we've tried to apply it to us to an eternal conscious torment what well, that's not the context or the presentation that Jesus was giving at that time to those people so we can't apply it even apply it to us and, and you said I've because I've heard pushback on that I'm with you um but the push it back brother when 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 you talk about the words of Jesus yeah. the red letters and people say well there's no way I can I can say those aren't to me because it's it's God speaking but the whole thing is Jesus himself said, I don't come except for to speak right. to the lost house, house of, of Israel. Israel. Yeah, right. They, the lost sheep talking. of the house of Israel. The yeah. They're for us, but they're not to us. Right. And there's right. a world of difference. That means I can pull the good stuff out of it that's applicable, but I got to look at it in context. And it's better to look at it in yeah, context. Absolutely. Well, no, yeah, that, we have history to prove it out. Mm-hmm. You know, Matthew 24, people want to argue with it. I mean, look, you can you can continue to to try to come up with ideas to say Jesus didn't mean what he meant, but he said this generation will not pass until these things are fulfilled. And then in Luke, he says, when you see the army surround Jerusalem, run to Pela. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he's talking to that generation. So right. we look back, Josephus, the historian, tells us that happened with Titus's army. Okay, so Josephus says there was 1.1 million died in Jerusalem and went into that dump ground. Wow. Yep. That's a lot of folks burning. Wow. And Jesus told them, this is where you'll end up. You know, we forget that Jesus went to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but he handpicked Paul to go to the Gentiles. Mm. So many times when people want to apply everything that Jesus said, they're, they're failing to recognize the cross as the dividing line of the Testaments. They People, and here again, this is what we've been taught. The New Testament we were taught started with Matthew because it's on that side of the the, the dividing, it mm-hmm. says New Testament. New Testament didn't start till the crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus, and Paul comes as the messenger of the New Testament to us Gentiles. So when Paul never uses the word hell to the Gentiles, I think we need to pay attention to that. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's let's break this one down. This is amazing because I've all the years I've been in ministry, I've heard one preacher preach on these passages. And it's the passages where he is speaking to the ones that are under the law, which is the Sadducees and Pharisees. Mm -hmm. And so here in context, you look at this and they're not wanting to accept him. They don't want to accept his words. 
So he's going to deal with those ones that are under that law. And he says, oh, okay. So you want to live like this. So if your hand offends you, you got to cut it off. Mm-hmm. Because it's better not to have that hand, okay, than to have your soul cast into hell. Mm-hmm. Now, wait a minute. Now, Jesus is telling us to cut off our hand? Now, no preacher would say, yeah, that's what he's saying. Or your eye offends you, pluck it out. He's dealing with people that don't want to come out from underneath the law. So he tells them, listen, if you're going to operate by the law, you don't have any power to overcome it. So Mm -hmm. if your eye offends you, the only way you can overcome it is to pluck out that eye that's offending you. Mm. Okay, so he's talking to them that refuse to come out of the law. Because what was the law? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So he's, he's showing them exactly what they're dealing with. And then he makes reference, if not, it's, it's better to enter into life maimed than your soul be cast into Guyana. Mm-hmm. Why? Because Guyana is the fire that's going to burn that lust out of you that causes your eye to offend you, causes your hand to want to steal. Mm. And see, they're saying, we're not coming into life. We're not going to operate by what you're going to do for us. We're going to stay in the law. Well, better get the chopping axe out. Mm. But you know what? N- nobody now wants to t- accept that verse. So how many now, if we have somebody come into the church and go, okay, if you got a problem with adultery, come on up here. Let's pop them eyes out. Right. Okay, yeah. so we know he was not talking to us. We're under grace. Mm-hmm. He was talking to them that refused to come out from beneath the law. And he's saying, if you're going to live by that, this is the only way you can stop from doing it. You're going to cut off your hand. you got to pluck out your eye. Mm. Yeah, I've never heard a message on that. No, people don't <laughs> want to talk about that one. <laughs> you know, the other word that we have uh, lumped into this category, when you read the word saved in the Bible, we immediately think saved from hell. Exactly. But the word saved does not mean saved from hell. It's the Greek word sozo, which comes from sotoria, which is the word uh, delivered to made whole, be made yeah. whole. It has nothing to do with a fiery afterlife. Not at no. all. We've well, made it that. Yeah. There again, we've redefined a Bible word and made it something that it's not. Mm-hmm. And Peter said it right off the bat. He said, save yourself from this wicked and perverse generation. Mm. I'm talking about hell. We're right. about this wicked and perverse generation. <laughs> right. This I mean, generation. That's Peter, yeah. the first message. Mm. It's a shame that we've made the whole ball game about heaven and hell. Yeah. Because that's not what Jesus came to give us. He came to give us an abundant life now in the here, the kingdom. It was it's never about in the his, kingdom. Yeah, it was never in his message. It, this is what you got to ask. If, if you got saved from something, which was a wicked and perverse generation, the next thing you got to ask, what was I saved for? Well, you're saved yeah. for the kingdom. Yeah, right. Not to go to heaven. The issue is not to go to heaven. The issue is the kingdom is available for heaven to come here. So look at, let's look at Jesus' prayer for a second. And let's make it individual, not, uh, you know, sometimes we make it so corporate we forget the individual. He said, this is how I want you to pray. So who was he teaching? It's 12 disciples. Mm-hmm. Pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done where? On earth. Okay, so let's stop right there. What are you made out of? That's me. Yeah. <laughs> You're made out of the earth. Mm-hmm. What's he saying? He's teaching them how to pray for the kingdom to come to live on the inside of them. Isn't right. that what he said? Don't look out here. The kingdom's going to be in you. Yes. See, we're still looking for this mist to come out of heaven it's the kingdom, the glory of God that right. comes down on the earth. Yep. No, you're the kingdom of God now. You're the walking covenant of God on the planet. Mm. And so we got to make it individual as well as corporate. Mm. So what he was trying to teach them is let the kingdom take over in your life. Yep. Let his will be done in your life. 
then you can release it to others. Now, there was a time not long ago that that message was considered heresy. I mm-hmm. remember in the in the early '90s when Kingdom Now was being oh, taught, yeah. and it was so anti, uh, get everybody just ready to go to heaven. I mean, I spent 35 years as a pastor. I thought my main goal was to get people ready to leave here to go go to heaven. So when you start to hear about a kingdom now, you go, well, that doesn't, that's not orthodox, but it's the very heart yeah. of the message of Jesus. So there's been so many things that we've had perverted and twisted and turned backward that this reformation that's going on today is starting to, to straighten out. And people with ears to hear and eyes to see are catching it. And it's happening all over the world. And it's 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 becoming a tsunami of regular people that are, are it's a grassroots level. It's not coming from higher down. Every move I, that's been in my lifetime has been from leadership, has been from platform superstars and spread to people. That's not what's happening with this. Regular people are catching this. They don't yeah. have titles. They're not fivefold ministers. They're not hierarchy in a denomination. They're just folks that God's doing something in them. And all of a sudden they're connecting much through social media with people all over the world. And they're going, hey, I'm not crazy. A guy in Australia is feeling the same thing I am. A guy in England is seeing the same revelation. So people are connecting, which is then creating pools and pockets of people that are rising up. And what will happen is the church will either change or die because people people will not put up with the same old, same old taking Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, and Tartarus and make it into eternal conscious torment. People will no longer put up with just making saved about going home to heaven. I want to know how to walk in the kingdom now in wholeness and full completeness and deliverance and prosperity. I want to know how to do that now. So don't feed me this pablum anymore in these doctrines that are not affecting me or affecting culture or making a difference in my life. And the change is here. It's happening right in front of us. Well, let's just look at, you know, they say history repeats itself. So in Martin Luther's day, the church was afraid of anyone speaking out against what they were saying. So now in the you know 21st century, what we've done is we're actually just reproducing the same thing. And we do it through the fivefold ministry. And now I believe in the fivefold ministry. But the fivefold ministry there is to equip the saints to come into the full stature, the full measure of Christ. Okay, but instead of that, what we do is we separate the saints and we find our fivefold ministry and then we get to tell the saints what's right and wrong and they don't get to question it. That's exactly what the Catholic Church was doing. Yeah. Yeah. So what's happening now is people were afraid to talk about what they felt that God was showing them on the inside because you're heretic or you get kicked out of the church or you know you're you you got a problem with authority. You need to submit. Okay. When actually what we're supposed to do is be equipping them to hear God with the anointing on the inside of them for them to grow up into who they are. And this is what's leveling the playing field is we are no longer finding our identity and our gifts. We're finding it in our sonship. Yeah, exactly. We're all sons and daughters. That levels the playing field. The gift is there just to equip the saints. It's not supposed to be your identity. Right. And that's what's losing strength in America because we want to have all these hierarchy systems. Well, I'm the apostle. I get to determine what's right and what's wrong. I'm the prophet. I'm, you know, I'm the pastor. I need to cover you. Well, really, Jesus is my covering. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm not saying we don't have accountability, but accountability comes out of relationship. It doesn't come out of title. And so that's breaking off, and people are now starting to have these conversations, and they're going, oh, my gosh, God told you that too? Mm-hmm. I thought I was going crazy. Now we're finding out, wait a minute, this is the anointing on the inside of every man in his heart, in his mind, 
to hear God and for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into all truth. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, this whole health thing is really gaining big time momentum. I mean, guys like Darren and I, we're kind of leading the pack on this. I don't know too many pastors that are actually teaching it like Darren is with boldness. And it's happening because there is a revelation of the love of the Father today. Mm. And so when the love of the Father becomes a revelation in the hearts of people, you begin to question, well, what is contrary to that love? And there's nothing more contrary to the love of a Father than to think you're going to torture your own creation in a customized fire chamber for all of eternity. There's nothing more contrary. So people begin to question it. Regular people that are seeing the love of God, they're beginning to question this. And you know what? With the internet, it doesn't take long to Google hell. Yeah. And it doesn't take long then to see that there's articles and there are there are books and there's a world out there that is bigger than your your little Baptist church that has taught you to, to be quiet and I'll tell you what the Bible says and we're only reading the King James and any other Bible is wrong. There's a whole big world out there and people as the spirit of truth is working in them and the love of God, the love of the Father begins to manifest this stuff is going to flush out and it's going to flush out fast, which I think is going to create an exponential love for the father as we realize that he's not this uh, this maniac that has created uh, such atrocities that no human mind on earth would think of perpetrating against their offspring. So I think it's going to really escalate the the love that's going on for God today. I mean, we, people yeah. always said they love God, they love God. You know why we said that? Because we're afraid if we Scared don't love him, him or what yeah. we're going to get. <laughs> yeah. Well, this Not, this is what I'm challenging people to do. And and this is what I, where I believe we are in, in another reformation is I'm challenging people to turn inward because Paul said this, the letter killeth. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we are living epistles. And we're supposed to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I know people get upset with this, but you're not supposed to live by the Bible. It's true. You're supposed to live by a relationship with God that he's speaking to you, okay? So I ask people to do this. What has God told you about hell? Or if all your teachings have come from a man, then it's Mm. time for you to revisit and ask him, what do you say about hell? Yeah. What is hell to you, God? What's the last thing God ever spoke to you about hell? And you know what most people will say? Never ask him. I just believed what I was told. Yeah. You know something? When you you read a passage in the Bible, I know at some point we're going to get into some of these tough passages, but when you read a passage in, in the scripture that creates fear, John said, perfect love casts out fear because yeah. fear has torment. Yeah, exactly. So anything that you read that creates fear and torment, you can just write it down that you are not looking at it correctly. Yeah. And and some of this that we pick we find verses that would appear to uh enforce this doctrine, it's because we're reading them through the lens of tradition and how we've always been taught automatically surfaces. Yeah. You know, when I when I announced that I was going to do this series on hell, immediately I began to get messages with questions. And the first question that came to me was, well, what about the verse that says the unpardonable sin, that if we sin against the Holy Spirit, it'll never be forgiven for us. Okay, well, that's, there's, uh, I forget what, 20, I think it's 23,000 or maybe it's 32,000 verses in the Bible. And that's, there's one verse that men- mentions that. So out of 32,000 verses, you got one verse and you're going to make an, a, an essential doctrine out 
out of it. I mean, I can, I'm going to get in. I'm going to answer the questions, which is what I'm doing on Wednesday night or answering often asked questions. I do the teaching Sunday and, and the questions Wednesday. But when you read a verse that creates fear or torment, just just write it down, take it to the bank that you're looking at it wrong. And there's answers to those questions. Absolutely. I mean, just like that one right there. I mean, he was not talking to us. He was talking to the elite Sadducees and Pharisees. Hmm. And then one of those words were translated wrong. It actually means aeon. Hmm. So there was no forgiveness in that age, the age they were in, or the age to come, which was going to be 40 years transition period. Hmm. Okay. But then after that, they would be forgiven. Well, why? Because they were going to be blinded. In that 40 years, he said, he said, the veil's only taken away. So anyway, there's there's answers to those questions. Right. It's very simple when you put it in context. Yeah. But we take everything in the Bible and think, oh, it was written to us. You know, as, you know, a non-minister, uh, you know, I don't get up on in a pulpit and preach on Sundays, and probably most of the people listening don't either. But as someone that doesn't spend hours and hours in, in the Bible, I've found that one thing that makes a lot of sense for what you were just talking about and you were talking about is that anything that comes to me in the form of fear, anything at all, it cannot come from God. No, exactly. God is pure love. So any scripture that I don't understand, anything that preaches a message to me that I should be afraid of what's coming in the afterlife or tomorrow, I just need to like stick that on a shelf until I'll understand it, until I want to study it out, because the Bible should be interpreted through a God of love, not through my own understanding that's looking for the boogeyman hiding behind the scripture over here, over here, because God is love through and through and through, and he can't be anything else. Well, what happens with that, though, is people take, they go back to their experience when they got saved. Yeah. And they go, well, you know, that was the message that got me saved. So it must have been from God. Mm. Now, wait a minute. God will use anything of where you're at, but that sure. doesn't mean it was from him. And and I always tell people my experience. I got saved on crank. Yeah. So, you know, what should I do? Go down and start a church, go buy a truckload of crank, get everybody to do lines of crank. And while they're on crank, then they're going to have an encounter where God saves them. Yeah. Well, that'd be ridiculous. Okay. But did God use my choices? And in the midst of that, me cry out and him there? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can hear a message of fear and of hell, and, and it, it, it calls some things to stir in you. God will use that, but it didn't come from him. Well, it's like running to, to, into the arms of your natural father. Anything that causes you to run into the arms of your dad, he's going to hug you right there back. You go. He's not going to turn you away. But if you stay in that embrace, he's going he's gonna to burn that fear out of you because he wants you to know his love. See, pastors are very insecure. So even if they are beginning to see this, it's going to be difficult for them to teach. I had had a pastor text me this week and he said, he said, brother, if we remove hell out of our messages, there's nobody going to serve God. (laughs) And that's the thinking. (laughs) That's the thinking. That's the hammer, brother. The carrot is heaven and the, and the stick is hell. And we hold the carrot out, you know, and we beat the donkey to get him to move. And then if he doesn't move with the carrot, we hit him with a stick. I tell you, there's no bigger thrill in my life than being able to feel good about who I am as a person and have a God of love come through me and affect other people's lives. There's no bigger high than I've had. Than, Absolutely. I, I don't need a carrot dangling in front of me to serve God no. or a whip behind me. It's a joy. Well, it, it, it totally reveals our heart, doesn't mm-hmm. it? When you say, if we don't teach hell, nobody's going to serve God, that tells you 
They have no relationship with God. They're Absolutely. serving God because somebody held the gun ahead of their head and said, you make a decision or yeah. you're going to burn. And, and what's sad is when your eyes get open to this, you're embarrassed yes. of how you've seen your yeah, God and what you true. said was his nature. You, you, you're really, you're embarrassed of it. Your heart hurts that you ever saw him, mm. that he would do his children that way. Yeah. So let me give you a verse that, um, and I'm going to be teaching on this, but it's give you a concept of it. In Isaiah, you know, Jesus talked about um, the anointing. He was anointed to do what? He's going to set the captives free, right? Right. He's going to open the prison doors. Yeah. yeah. Okay, now, we know that, and when, when, when he came out of the wilderness, he went straight into the temple, and he picked up the book, found where it was written of him, and he started decreeing what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. Now, we look at that, and we say, well, you know, that's spiritual prison. I agree. Okay? I agree wholeheartedly. But what we don't um, connect that to is a passage out of First Peter uh, 3, verse 18 and 20, where once Jesus died, okay, and was resurrected. Now, he did, wasn't resurrected. He didn't come out of the grave yet, but he was resurrected. And he went and preached to the spirits in prison. prison yeah. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. Who were they? Well, it plainly goes on down and tells you who they were. They were the ones in Noah's day yep. that were disobedient. The, they were the most wicked of any people. Of, of any, any gender, of most any wicked. people. Okay. Then it tells you what he preached to them in First Peter four, chap, chapter four, verse six. He preached the gospel, mm. which is the good news. Yeah. Okay. So when you look at that, it, it means the good news. So here's the craziest thing: we've always been taught that when he went to hell. He raised up Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the, right. the leaders, right? Yeah. Well, go back and look. He said, he led captivity captive. Mm-hmm. Who was in captivity? The ones that were in prison. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that in context, where he's speaking about that in Ephesians, and you show in Peter what he preached, it wasn't Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's no scripture that says. Right. Now, in Hebrews, it says he put them in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Okay. But when he's talking about the one that descended, he's talking about he went to preach to those that were disobedient. Mm. And so in context, you look at that and break that apart. The ones that was in captivity that he led captive were the ones in Noah's day. So the story of Noah, when the flood comes and the earth, basically the population gets almost 100% wiped out. Exactly. And people are like, how could a good God do that? But, but. He didn't. He didn't leave them. The other thing Absolutely. that's interesting about that is they've they died. Yeah. And so Jesus is there preaching to them. Yet we've been taught that when you die, the, the choice you made is it. it yeah. Is right. But <laughs> and he said he went and preached to them so that they may be judged in the flesh. But mm-hmm. we looked at judge. We look at judgment like, oh, well, he he's coming to hammer them so they can go be put into hell. Then, well, you're misunderstanding what a judge did because he took their sin. Yeah. He Make, took it away. And he said he's not accounting any sin to exactly. us. Exactly. Making, making death the end of the story mm. uh, increases the manipulation and the control. Absolutely. And it, it increases Absolutely. the fear. Yeah. Then you begin to wonder, did I pray it right? Yeah. Did I really mean it with all my heart? Boy. Was there something I forgot to confess? You can't really know. You can't ever know. And that and that religion plays on that insecurity. You're eternally insecure Absolutely. is what it amounts to. So, but... Think of what will happen when we are given 1,500 years to teach this the right way. Yeah. The effect yeah. it's going to have on mankind. We've done it 1,500 years the wrong way. 
Give us 1,500 years with only the love of God, the finished work of the cross, grace, mercy that endures forever, and see see what happens to the lives of people. Removing the fear of hell and, and teaching people, man, it, when you pass, it's going to be far greater, better. I can guarantee, I can guarantee it that's going to be better than well, what you got on this that's earth. That's why we're losing yeah. a generation in the church. Yeah, it right? is. Because the world, all the world's elsewhere. talking about right now yeah. is love. Now, that's right. We're not yeah. saying that, that they know what the true definition of love is, mm-hmm. but that's what they're saying. Total acceptance. Yeah. But you go back to love. What is love? Total acceptance. Yeah. Unconditional. Yeah. yeah. So what condition are you putting on love? And so the church needs to stand up and start preaching the unconditional love of God because the world is speaking it. Now, they're twisting it and turning it for their agendas. Okay. But there is an unconditional love, and that comes from the Father. And when we start giving them the true message, they're not going to run from it. They're going to run to it. Yeah. But the reason they're running from it today, they're going, I can't serve a God like that. And the, the, the real shame in that is, at least from my personal experience, the journey that I've had with Jesus as a, as a being, as an individual, and how that's meant to me the the end of my efforts to be spiritually accepted and any other message that I've heard somewhere along the lines no matter how good it is somewhere along the lines it comes back on my shoulders yeah, to exactly, perform yeah. Jesus is the antidote to all yeah, of that so yeah. that I can be like a child enjoying the love of a father who cares for me and just wants to help me to experience a, a wonderful life that blesses other people and that's what we don't get to share with people when we bring in fear doctrines of hell, which just turning people away. And I see why it turns people away. It turned me away for a long time. It should have been a bit of a red flag to us when we felt so awkward witnessing to people. Isn't that, isn't is that it, the weirdest I mean, thing we, to do? We've, you, you had a, <laughs> I used to have Saturdays at church where we're going to go out witnessing, soul winning. Yeah, exactly. Nobody showed up much. And, you know, those that did were just really, and it's because we didn't, we didn't have any good news to go tell people. The good news we were going to tell them is you better accept this or you're going to hell. You know, and one of the shames of this that, and we're going to wrap this up in just a second, but one of the shames of this that it has done to people inside the church is caused a real perception of separation, that the world is out here going to hell and we're the ones in here going to heaven. And I saw a sign the other day from, it's a a sign from, oh, back one of the revivals that have happened and they had a sign up that said over 25,000 souls saved. And they put that. And all I'm thinking is hamburgers, McDonald's, over X number of served. What... I was a part of a church one time. We sent buses into the project for months, and we got about six, 700 people to come to the altar over the course of three, four months. 12 months later, a year later, there was not one of those people that we bust in that would come yeah. to church and because there was no life flowing in it. It was just a message to get you saved from hell. So it turns people into numbers. It turns people into products. It turns it into a sales pitch. It takes the humanity and the relationship out of our experience with people and with God. Well, Billy Graham admitted that. He admitted, did he really? that, yeah, yes, he did, yeah. I don't remember the percentage, but he was just like, you know, he admitted that a huge percentage of, you know, people that came down and got, quote, born again, yeah. were not even walking with God today. Because he didn't tell us yeah. to go win souls. He told yeah. us to disciple. It makes sense. Total difference. You can't fear, can, I mean, it might scare you down there, but you're not going to live, unless like a Martin Luther, like when you see Martin Luther beating himself and was trying to do everything right. I was like that. I tried to, I didn't beat myself because that's not our doctrine. I would have, I think I would have, if that was our doctrine of the day. Well, well, the world looks at the church going, your problems are just like mine. 
And you, yeah. you know, so yeah. why would I want what you got? Yeah. And, and with you, I have to pay for it to go there. Yeah. And then I get condemned the whole time I'm there. Yeah. And so why would you want to go to church if that's what you're going to hear? You're going to hear you're going to hell. You got to pay for it. Yeah. Or you go, or you're cursed. I mean, everything in that in the world's looking at us, going, "No, thank you. Yeah. I, I don't need that." And it's got to shift. We're in a reformation, and we got to we got to go back in everything that we've been taught by man. We got to revisit it. Yep. Yeah. So to wrap it up, I mean, uh, Jesus for me has revealed Himself as as number one truth, and that's not facts. I learn every day. I don't know all the facts, but I know some. And truth is love. And anyone listening or watching, watching what I did, uh, my prayer was, Jesus, if you're real, I believe in you. That's what I said. I, meaning, I don't really know what's going on, but I'm opening up my heart to this reality. And that changed my whole life. That begun a journey that I'm still on. And it's tremendous. And um, well, Let me give you a yeah. fact, just real quick, we'll end on this, is when they caught the woman in adultery, okay, they had the facts, yeah. The facts was Moses said. That's fact. That's yeah. law. Yeah. Okay. They had stone. And so Jesus went not from the facts, he went to truth. So there's a difference between facts yeah. and truth. And so now the creator of the universe is standing there and saying, Oh, you want to deal with facts? Let me go to the truth. You without sin cast the first stone. Hmm. And every one of them dropped because their facts didn't matter when you meet the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're trying to give facts about something instead of knowing the truth. And yeah. when the truth, the person shows up, what does he do? He said, where's your accusers? Yeah. I see none. I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. That's what we're after, a personal relationship with the person, not Absolutely. with the facts. Absolutely. Um, and on that note, so in wrapping up, uh, Darren, if people want to connect with you, uh, what's your website that they can go find out? what you're doing. You can just go to godshouse.life yep. and connect with us there. Cool. And you do, you have live streaming that you do. We do have live streaming. You can find God's House on YouTube, yep. get messages there. We're actually doing a school right now. Um, we did put a, a, a small price on the school just because uh, right now I'm protecting some things because Don's going to do it free. And so all the people that want to argue, I'm just going to send them to Don <laughs> there you go. and uh, he can handle the arguing better than me. And, uh, so right now I'm 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 doing some things that um uh, I'm doing it in the church, but I'm also doing it online. So some people can start to go there, but I want hungry people. I'm not looking for the fights. Yeah, and I, I'm you know if you have to prove a point, you don't have one. Yeah. And um, so I, I I made a a comment to Don, and he's about to start his. I said you know if I get any of those, you know they really wanted to fight because they paid for it. And I said <laughs> I'll just send them to you, and they can fight with you over it. Well done. On that note, where is it? What's your address yeah, so people they, can argue they, with you? I'm, I'm simple to find. Just Don Keithley, K-E-A-T-H-L-E-Y dot com. And every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, we drop a new teaching on YouTube. You can hit it right off my website. There's a big arrow. Just hit the arrow. And then on Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Central Time, we do a Facebook Live where we follow up on Sunday morning, expand on it, and carry it a little bit deeper. So... Beginning this Sunday, we're doing uh, starting a series on Hell's Illusion, and then on Wednesday night, we'll be a answering commonly asked questions 
uh, from people that are beginning to understand this doctrine, but still have questions about different things. And you're a, a really good person to connect with on Facebook because you're on there every day. I'm on there every day. You, and some of the things that you put up, I, I really enjoy <laughs> reading and seeing the comments. Yeah, and, yeah. I, I, I've been doing it a long time. I got a lot of good friends on Facebook and um, the, the opposition's a lot less than it used to be. I guess they've all unfriended me or gone another direction. But yeah, we do, we do, we do stretch it and put it out there. And I just feel like that's what God is having me do is kind of bust some things out there and get people to think. And so, yeah, I, I think I'm probably pretty well full of friends, but you can follow. I've got the 5,000, right. but you can follow. And I probably should start a public page. I just, it's just a hassle to move everybody over to a yeah. public page, but it's coming, I'm sure. Anyway, yeah, I'd love to see you all on Facebook. Message me. Well, wonderful. Guys, that was uh, really fun. And we'll do another one. All right. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Let's Explore. We've got a lot more to come, and our next episode is going to be a little bit different. It's kind of a special episode. It comes out on Monday, and we're calling it Let's Explore Monday Musings. So it's literally coming out Sunday, like middle of the night. So it's going to be there Monday morning before you get up, go to work, start your week, do whatever you're doing. It's a short episode along a particular line of thinking. It's literally less than 20 minutes, so it's kind of bite-sized. I mean, you can listen to it while you're getting ready for your day, while you're on the way to work, whatever you want to do. And um, it's meant to just sort of hopefully be something that you can revisit in your thoughts during your week, and it'll be a blessing to you throughout the week. So. Normal episodes are going to be released on Thursdays, and these Monday musings are going to be released, as the name says, Mondays, super early. So look out for that. That'll be this Monday, the next one coming out. And feel free to reach out to us, connect with us on Facebook. Uh, just search for Let's Explore Podcast. Send us messages. Let us know where you're listening from. So I hope you're enjoying these episodes. We're having a lot of fun making them. We've got a lot more to come, and we'll see you next time on Let's Explore. Let's Explore.